Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me tonight, please, to 1 John chapter 4 this evening. This past semester, I've been speaking and preaching to our entire student body on 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 down to verse 21, the end of the chapter. Our theme this semester has been truth and love, and I, I waited all semester to get to this one particular verse, or these particular verses that that I actually preached to our entire student body a little over a week ago. And so I'm not going to wait a whole semester to give this message to you tonight. Because I would like us to look at what is the overall great theme of 1 John and what is it intended for our lives as believers tonight. I'm going to share some things with you tonight that it was a long time as a Christian before I heard this kind of a message. I hope the Lord will use it tonight in your heart, as we look at 1 John chapter 4, and we will read verses 17 down to verse 19. Let's hear God's word. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. May we pray together. Lord, thank you tonight for your word. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit tonight, that you will work deeply in hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Without a doubt, one of the most amazing transformations that takes place in the life of a person is when they enter into college as a freshman and they walk out as seniors. I just can't tell you the amazing difference. Fact is, it is not uncommon for a senior to say, was I like that as a freshman? It's just, transform, it's just transforming. It's remarkable. However, there is a far more remarkable change that takes place in the life of a new Christian when they grow and they mature in Christian love. In 1 John chapter 4, John is addressing the theme of love and the goal of the Christian life. Now let me just stop here and make a side comment. When you look at the New Testament, there are 27 books in the New Testament. The first four books are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The fifth book is the book of the Acts of the Apostles or the, Acts, the Act of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. It's a historical statement of God's work after the resurrection of Jesus. The last book of the New Testament is about things to come. It's called the book of the Revelation written by John, okay? So you got your first five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the last book, the Revelation, all the other books in between, 21 of them are called epistles. Now, what is an epistle? It's not the wife of the apostles, okay? It is a letter. And these are spiritual letters written to the people of God about how to live out the Christian faith. And when we look at the New Testament writers of these books, their names are Paul, 
Peter, James, Jude, and the unknown writer of the book of Hebrews. That's only five writers, all right? You with me so far? Now, when you look at these writers and you look at their doctrine, you'll find that Peter and Paul and James and Jude, and by the way, I I left out John, excuse me, the one I'm preaching about tonight, Gray, there we go. Uh, when When you look at these New Testament writers, they were consistent in their belief on the matters of salvation. In other words, Paul was not writing something different than Peter, and James was not believing something different from John. And we also find that they believe that the way in which you mature as a Christian is the same. That is, sanctification from one is not different from another. So they are doctrinally consistent. But when you read them, you find that practically their emphasis on the goal of the Christian life is actually different. So for example... Let's take the Apostle Paul. What was his emphasis? What was his goal of the Christian life? You can read it through his letters. Go back and find it. The goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus. It's called Christ-likeness, being conformed into his image. But let's take the book of James. No doubt, James' theme is slightly different. His goal is for Christians to become wise. Let's take Peter. What was his goal? By the way, James said, who is a wise man and do with knowledge among you? Let him live out of, a, out of a good conversation. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. You come to Peter, what does Peter emphasize? Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't want you to be wise. It doesn't mean he doesn't want you to be like Jesus, but his emphasis on being holy. For he says in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy as I am holy. Then when you come to the books of John... What is John's emphasis? John's emphasis is in what we read tonight, and that is that we become perfect in love. Love, wisdom, holiness, Christ-likeness. If you're a Christian, everybody in this room knows that we're talking in essence the same thing, but the emphasis is different. And the emphasis of John in his writings is that we become perfect in love. That's the goal of the Christian life. So tonight, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about perfect love. Because it's something that you need to know. Now, when we talk about the word perfect, what do we mean by that? We're not talking about being sinless. We're not talking about making mistakes. The word perfect in the New Testament always conveys the idea of maturity. Like a child who grows into a fully developed adult. So in church, we have have kindergarten through the sixth grade. We have elementary, juniors, primaries. Then we come into the teen years, the adolescence. Then we come to college and career. And then we get into young adults and then middle-aged adults and then senior adults. 
And we understand that in life there is this process of maturity. And John is showing us that the goal of the Christian life is to become a full-grown spiritual adult by having our love perfected or matured. So in these verses, verses 17 through 19, John directs our attention towards the goal of perfect love and reveals that the believer's love has reached this state of maturity when two things happen. And these are the two things I want to talk about tonight. The first thing is kind of, we could say, John's big idea. We would say the main point. And that main point is always looking towards the future. And that is our love is made perfect when we can look towards God's future day of judgment with confidence. We can look towards God's future day of judgment when he judges the earth. We can look at that not with fear, but with confidence. And then the second point he wants to make, which is, Not the primary point, but it's a very important part. And that has to do with the present. And that is when perfect love, when you have matured in your love, you have been delivered from the self-enslaving fears that we have in the present. So one looks to the future, the day of judgment. The other looks towards the present and how we face the fears of life. So let's look at those two things tonight. And the first thing I want to say is this, that perfect love allows you to look towards God's future day of judgment with confidence. Look at what he says in verse 17. Herein herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. Now the New Testament clearly reveals that everybody's going to get judged. We read in Romans 2.16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. John has already challenged the believers to be ready for that judgment. Look at what he says in 1 John 2.28. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence, there it is, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, this confidence that John describes is the bold assurance that allows us to stand secure before God as his child without the fear of being eternally rejected. We call that the assurance of salvation. In this case, it is the maximum assurance of of salvation. So what is the basis for this confidence? Now, let me just stop here and ask a question. How many of you have ever doubted your salvation? Raise your hand. How many of you have prayed more than one time to be saved? Lord, if I didn't mean it then, I mean it now. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have ever been baptized more than one time? Raise your hand. All right, sure. Everybody in this room that is a Christian, every one of us knows That as we look over our life, there are times where we wonder, are we really saved? Every one of us goes through that. And what he is saying is that the basis for our confidence 
is called perfect or mature love. Look at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now conversely, those who are living with fear about that day are not living with boldness. What are they living with? They're living with torment. Look at verse 18. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment. Now the word torment here is only used one other time in the New Testament. Matthew 25 verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. The word is torment. And what he is saying is this, that the present torment of fear projects the ultimate torment of the eternal punishment of the unrighteous in hell. And John's point is this, that it is torturous to the human soul. It's like punishment to contemplate the final torment of being eternally rejected by God. Let's be honest. It is a fearful thing to face the reality that I might die and go to hell. So wherein do I find the confidence and the boldness that I am safe and secure? And John is saying that a believer who is fearful about that day has not matured in love. Here's what he is saying. He is not saying that you're not saved. He is not trying to make you doubt your salvation. He's trying to help you be confirmed in your salvation. He wants you to be confident in that day of judgment. So how then is our love made perfect? And he tells us. Look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein, herein, this is how our love is made perfect. So how is our love made perfect? Two ways. Notice maturity, or this perfect love, comes first of all by knowing and believing God's love for you. It is knowing it first, that is, you're not ignorant, and secondly, it's believing it. For example, in 1 John 4, 7, he tells us that love is of God. So it means that I know and I believe that all love originates with God. Let me tell you something tonight. If you love God, it doesn't start with you. It starts with Him. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It is knowing and believing that God is love. It is knowing and believing that God has demonstrated His love when He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross. Look at 1 John 4, 9. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. How do I know God loves me? Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. You know, if you want to know that God loves you, don't look at yourself. Look at, it, look at, look at his son. Look at him on the cross. And on that cross, God is testifying to the world. He loves us. And then it's also knowing and believing that God has put his love within us. 
First Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which has been given unto us. Do you know what? When I got saved, God poured his love into my heart. Before I was saved, church was boring. After I got saved, church became a blessing. Before I was saved, I ran to sin. After I got saved, I ran from sin. Before I was saved, I couldn't understand the Bible. After I got saved, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. Before I was saved, I was comfortable with the people of the world. Now that I'm saved, I'm comfortable with the people of God. How do you explain that? Because I love God? No, because God's love is in my heart. And let me say it is knowing and believing that all true love towards God is only, listen to this, all true love towards God is only a response of God's initial love for me. Would you listen to this verse? We love him. Why? Because he first, what? Loved us. The source of my love for him is from him. We never need to fear that our love for God is going to be rejected because our love is simply a response to his initial love for us. Did you get that? When we love God, it proves that he has already loved us. If I sit here tonight and I want to love God more and I want to know God more and I want to believe God more, that desire did not start with you. That started with him. And therefore, I have confidence because I understand this. That if I love God and I want to love God, it's not a love that God is going to reject because it's his own love in me. You get that tonight? This is why you can be bold and confident because of what God has done. We know and believe the love of God. And then he says, secondly, that we dwell in that love. And it says, in he, he, God is love and he that dwelleth in love Love dwelleth in God and God in him. Now, what does it mean to dwell in his love? It means to live in it. Let me ask you a question. Where do you live? You live in your house. How many of you work from home right now? Okay. How many of you would prefer to work from home than have to go into your office? Raise your hand. Okay, most everybody. Everybody likes going home. I, I don't mind coming to church, but I, I'm glad I'm going home tonight. You know what I do when I go home? I change. I only wear two things, Pastor, suits or sweats. That's it. I would far rather live in sweats than suits. Amen? It's like having to wear a tie every day. I wish I could find the guy that invented the tie to hang him with it. When he talks about dwelling or living, it, it means that I live in the love of God. I live in the atmosphere of love. And what does this love do? When I live in the love of God, it drives out the fear of eternal rejection. So this love we mature in, and as we mature, our love begins to resemble or reflect the love that the Son shares with the Father. Look at what he says at the end of verse 17, he says, because as he is, 
so are we in this world. What does that mean? It means because in this world, we, he's saying we are, we are acting like him. We are resembling, we are reflecting the love the son shares with, our, with the father. And what has happened is our love has reached its goal when we have lived in love as Christ has lived in this world. This is the reason why we have a confidence without fearing his rejection when we stand before his judgment because we have matured in this love. We are living this love out. So what is perfect love? It is living with this confidence and assurance that God is not going to reject me because I know and I believe and I live in this love and as I live in that, I live with confidence. All right, that's looking towards the future. Now, here's my second point. My second point is this. It has to do with me living in the present. And that is perfect love delivers you in the present from your own self-enslaving fears. There are three primary negative emotions that all of us struggle with. Anger, how I many you ever get angry, okay? Lust, wanting things that are sinful. And the third is fear. Now, when you look in the Bible and you study those three things out, <clears throat> you'll discover that fear is mentioned more than any other sinful emotion, in the, more than any other sinful emotion in, in the Bible. It's a big deal. I'm going to modernize the term fear in something that everybody here understands, and that's called mental health. When we talk about mental health, what are we talking about? We're talking about anxiety, depression, loneliness. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever stop to think what are the roots of those things? Because anxiety is the fruit of a root. Loneliness is the fruit of a root. Depression is the fruit of a root. What is the root of all those things? The root of all those things is fear. And the Bible tells us the way that we deal with fear. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment. Think about it this way. When you think of the future judgment, it brings a present fear. You're living with that fear. Fear is tormenting in our life. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So what is John telling us? He is, he's establishing something that we need to understand. That love and fear are mutually exclusive. I want to say it again. The opposite of love is not hate. We have a tendency to think, what's the opposite of love? Everybody says hate. No, it's not. Because love and hate can dwell together. We call that in the Bible zeal, being zealous. Being zealous means that you love something so strong that you hate anything that opposes it. Okay? I'm from the state of South Carolina. There's two football teams in South Carolina. You say, no, there's not a lot. There's more than that. Well, obviously, you're not from South Carolina. There's the Clemson Tigers and there's the Carolina Gamecocks. I grew up in Columbia, the capital city. I grew up a Gamecock fan. I hated the Clemson Tigers. I didn't even like orange. 
And I moved to the upstate of South Carolina. Guess who lives up there? All the rednecks who love Clemson. If you love one, you can hate the other. You understand what I'm saying? Love and hate can live together. It's called, it's mutually exclusive. But according to the Bible, love cannot dwell in the same room with fear. When you have fear in your heart, all right, let me put it real simple. If you have mental health struggles, anxiety, depression, loneliness, what is the only thing that's going to drive it out of your heart? There is only one thing that's going to drive it out of your heart. Perfect love casteth out fear. Fear is driven out. When love comes in, fear goes out. Why is this? Because they are mutually opposite. Think about it. Fear is the emotion that lives with the anticipation of rejection. Love is the emotion that lives with the confidence of acceptance. So fear is always looking at self. Love is always looking at others. When a person is fearful, he can't do anything but think about himself. That's why loving and caring for others is virtually impossible when you're living in fear. But as love increases, fear decreases. So how do we grow in a love that overcomes fear? How do we grow in that? And let me say two things. Number one, the first is a negative point. And that is we have to begin to see or to recognize. In other words, we got to look at ourselves. We got to understand ourselves and see the way that fear motivates us to look for love and acceptance and security in all the wrong places. Someone has defined fear and insecurity as putting your trust in something or someone that can be taken away. How often do we look to or trust in certain things for a sense of acceptance and security and identity? Things like my abilities, my accomplishments, I won, I succeeded, I was honored, I have a state, I'm in a state of prominence or prestige. Many people look at their appearance, the way that they look, their approval of others, their personal acceptance. And the problem with this is not that those things in and of themselves are wrong, but when we trust in these things to give us a sense of acceptance, they can become very controlling. They often cause, they're the cause of wrong actions, bad habits, damaging emotions, failed relationships, moral compromises, and personal idols of the heart. And the problem is that none of these things can provide real security. Why? Because they can be taken away. They are temporal. But when we look to these things, we find ourselves in a vicious cycle of insecurity and fear. And we end up acting in ways in which we feel guilty. And the moment we feel guilty, we feel personally rejected. And it's a vicious cycle. Let me, let me give you a certain, let me give you a, a, an illustration. <clears throat> I was a youth pastor for five years in the state of Michigan. And 
it was two years into my youth ministry that I became self-aware, personally aware, of my own personal insecurities. And my insecurity was that I actually wanted the teenagers in the youth group where I was the youth pastor, I wanted the teenagers to like me. That's called a fool's errand. Now, it wasn't wrong for the teenagers to like me. That's not a problem. But it was problematic for me to pursue their acceptance of me because I would find that I would do things that would gain their acceptance, but I would feel bad about it. It could be actions. It could be things I shouldn't have done. It could be things that I would have allowed. And God deeply convicted me one day that I was sinful and selfish because I was looking for acceptance from them to make me feel loved and accepted and secured. And I, I, it's like the lights turned on and I saw it. And I had to come to the end of myself because, before I could start understanding God's love. We use terms to describe this like being broken over yourself. I mean, I mean, think of how many different ways people get involved in so many different bad relationships because they simply want to be loved and accepted. And they end up being enslaved in wrong and sinful habits all because deep in their hearts they want to be loved and they're looking for love in all the wrong places. That is why so often people go through painful experiences like personal failures, deep disappointments, unfair rejection, various difficulties and disappointments. These things, though, come in our life and they expose our hidden desire for security through acceptance and recognition. And sometimes God has to take away the very things I find my security in before I can learn that God is my ultimate security. God wants no rivals of the heart. Idols have to be torn down. So let me ask you a question tonight. What are you afraid of? What are you looking to for security? If my security is found in something or in someone that can be taken away, that I am operating with underlying fears. And that leads me to my second point, which is the positive. And that is we have to begin to rely upon God's love as being completely sufficient for all my heart's needs. You know what I did when I was a youth pastor? I got on my knees and I begged God to forgive me for my sin of really making those desires my idols. And I went to my youth group and I confessed to them that that I had been looking to them for acceptance. And I realized God accepted me in Jesus Christ. He is my all in all. No matter if they love me or not. Fact is, he freed me up because now that I have his love and I don't have to look for security in something else, I feel a sense of freedom to be able to begin to love them no matter how they treat me. So I looked at him and I said, look, whether you love me or not, doesn't matter, I love you. Mm. 
I'm going to love you. And, said, and so instead of my relationship with them, of me always thinking about me, I stopped thinking about me. I started thinking about them. True brokenness comes in the life of a believer when they begin to seek the Lord and begin to become dependent on His love. God's love is permanent. God doesn't flip-flop. Spurgeon said, man, I'm glad that God doesn't change His mind because I change my mind two to three times a day. God's love is permanent, unchanging, eternal. It is maximum security. He's not going to change himself. Why? He's not going to change himself in his attitude towards us. Why? Because if we are believers, he sees us in Christ. We are accepted in the beloved. And so faith says yes to love. And when you say yes to love... You are saying no to fear. And and this is when we are being perfected in love. If Christ's love is sufficient, more than enough, then I have what I need. What about those things that I look to for security? I'm freed from them as idols. No longer do I serve them as slaves, but I use them for God's glory. God allowed me to break, break my left ankle, my sophomore year of college, playing soccer at the Citadel. And the breaking of my ankle allowed God to get a hold of my attention. Because soccer was an idol, it was a God. And I surrendered it to the Lord. And I began to grow in my faith, and I began to grow in God's love in my life. And I found that I no longer loved soccer like an idol, but I surrendered it to God. And I said, God, I want you to use it for your glory. And God didn't take it away from me. But God readjusted my thinking so that I wasn't being driven by fear and pride so that I would become something on the field. But I was on the field because I wanted to play. God gave it to me as a good gift, but I, I began to use it for the Lord. And I began to see the players on the field as people that were without Jesus, and I began to share the gospel with them. And we had classmates on our team get saved. And I would share Christ out on the field. Fact is, when you're playing on a soccer field in NCAA Division I, generally you don't hear a lot of praises of God on the field. I would hear God's name taken in vain and I decided if they're going to curse God's name, I'm going to praise God's name. So I'd be on the field and the guy would take God's name in vain and I would say, praise the Lord. The guy would look at me like, where did you come from? One guy said, Jesus Christ. I said, do you know him? He's the Lord. God took away fear of what they thought because I knew the Lord loved me. And my acceptance was found in him. So that now I can start doing what I do out of a motive that is driven by love. And not insecurity and selfishness and fear. And this is what James is talking about. Perfect love means that 
When I come to know and believe and dwell in the love that God has, I have, God gives me, God gives me a confidence that when I stand before him in the day of judgment, I will be accepted in Jesus Christ. And in this life, he gives me a sense of his love for me that is perfect, complete, secure in Jesus Christ. And I don't have to live with the self-enslaving fears that we all, we all have them, folks. We all, we, everybody has them. But I overcome those fears by the, Lord, by the Lord's love for me. And I become a mature, stable, secure believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't God good? He loves us. May we, rejo- may we rejoice in that and rejoice in his love for us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your love and your word. Thank you that you do love us and that love is unchanging, eternal, and it's maximum. You do not love us because we first loved you, but we love you because you first loved us. We thank you that you have delivered us from the wrath to come and we have become secure in Christ. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name.